Hey, Evan. What? What do you call a peanut in a space suit? What? An astronaut. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. I'm going to have my eyeballs on them. Yeah. So we're obviously we're going to have stuff to talk about. Uh, it just depends on whether or not our podcast is three hours long. I mean, that's really what right. I'm getting at. It's going to be a lot of yelling. Yeah. Is it going to turn into, like, are we going to turn into giant bomb? Um, probably not. Probably not. I mean, all we really have to do is talk about pro wrestling a lot. And because and, we yell enough. We're close. It's true. We're close. I mean, but I don't really like pro wrestling. I like glow. <laughs> that's close enough. That's fine. You know what? At this point, you and I could could talk about anything and make it entertaining, I think. I mean, you're right. Um, I, I think I could sell you on – if we went wrestler by wrestler, I think I could sell you on liking at least half a dozen of them. Um, <laughs> if for nothing else, because of my natural charm and charisma. Um, that's a joke, folks. I don't have any of that. Anyway, <laughs> um, so – it's board game week. We already talked about it. So let's do the news first, and then we'll get into stuff. So um, we don't normally do news on this show, but I thought it would be kind of a neat little mix-it-up thing. Uh, we got a new game coming from Restoration Games. Have you heard about it, Amanda? I might have heard about it. Why don't yeah. you tell me about this Restoration Games so that I can tell you whether or not I've heard about it. <laughs> so Restoration Games has a new game called Unmatched which is a restoration of a game called Star Wars Epic Duels, uh, which is, um, it came out like during the prequel era. It was a board game, um, like with miniatures. It was like a small board um, miniatures combat game. Was popular, but not like OMG popular. Um, Tiny tactics game. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a safe way to describe it. Um, and so they, they got the... The, the, the big key is that the, the core tenets of Star Wars Epic Duels, like the basic DNA of Star Wars Epic Duels, turned into Heroescape. So this is like, like Cro-Magnon Man. <laughs> I, you know what? Let me, let me make it, let me take it to like the real level. Like this is... Australopithecus afarensis of board games, and then we move to Cro-Magnon Man. Like we're just, wow. and, and and now it's being moved around. I, that's uh that that's my uh, anthropology background. Um, I get to use it once every three years. I just used it. Put the You're check mark. Now. I'm done for a while. So um and the idea is basically they're taking this tiny tactics game. I like the tiny tactics thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna steal that. Um, I'll give you credit. Don't worry. Um and. <laughs> And so, um, basically, they're taking out the Star Wars license, obviously, um, and replacing it with, um, at least in the initial piece, um, mythological figures. So, I'm just going to read directly from the press release, because I can, because I have it right here. So, this is directly from the press release. Tell me how hype this is, okay? Okay. Uh, so, Unmatched pits two or four players against each other, with each player taking the role of their own hero. Each hero is represented by a unique ability and a custom deck of action cards. And each set comes with a double-sided board with different battlefields. The first okay. two sets in the line are Battle of Legends, Volume 1, and the eponymous Robin Hood versus Bigfoot. Those are the okay. first two sets. So Battle of Legends, Volume 1, um, and then the second set is Robin Hood versus Bigfoot. The Battle of Legends set includes King Arthur... Alice from Alice in Wonderland, Medusa, and Sinbad, like oh. the adventurer. Yeah. Um, heroes from any set can be played against each other, making for surprising and exciting matchups and tons of replayability. 
Um, the so the first sets are coming at Gen Con, but um, later on this year, two more packs coming. Okay. One of them is Bruce Lee, which I think is amazing. Uh, that will be fantastic. Collectors will want to hang on to that. Will want to look out for that one because it will be a limited edition Bruce Lee. Um, and then the second one is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, which I think will resonate with a certain audience, like maybe you. Um, so, are you a Buffy? Are you a Buffy girl? I sure am. Were you absolutely? A, were you a Buffy girl while Buffy was happening, or did you happen upon it afterwards? Nah, I was a Buffy girl when it was happening. I watched the X Files and Buffy. That was okay. like everything I watched. So when I was that age, my exposure to Buffy the Vampire Slayer was late. I think. I can't remember what season it was. Um, the general's coming in. I'll ask her in a minute what season I started. But, like, I started... It, it was definitely after, like, the awkward, like, first two seasons. Um, I liked and, those first two seasons, even though they were super awkward. Yeah, but I, I went back and watched them later because of the power of DVD. Um, but, like, I thought it was so dumb, right? Like, I just was convinced that it was stupid. And I was never going to watch it. I was like, oh, this is just ridiculous. And the general, more or less, was like, if you're going to make me watch Monday Night Raw, then you're going to watch Buffy. And I was like, well, I don't really have a choice. So I did. Um, and you know what? It was fun. I mean, it was funny. I mean, it's such a cool concept. I am very surprised that they haven't made it, uh, that they haven't rebooted it yet. Like, it feels like the CD, the CW would have redone this. Maybe with Arrow going away. Maybe. Uh, maybe. Be, there will definitely be more of a budget. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so, um, that's their, that's this new game. I think it's really cool. Um, Restoration Games, they have not made a bad thing yet. Um, it's true they haven't. Th they probably have, they have a little bit of an advantage, I think, by nature of the fact that they are making games that were already kind of like made already. Yes, though, yeah. I mean, it gives them. But a, they're but they're making them better. True. Right. Yes, but I think I'm not saying that their job is easy, right? Like I know them, I've worked for them. Full disclosure, you know, when I go to PAX Unplugged, I work at their booth. Um, I spent an entire weekend at PAX Unplugged yelling at people about Fireball Island. So much yelling. You do so much yelling. I do. But, but that's because I get excited. I just get excited. I know, me too. Also, um, it's amazing how easy it is to sell Fireball Island when all you have to do is get people to sign up for a mailing list. It's just so easy. It's so easy. Um, I sold a lot of copies of Downforce for what it's worth. Um, okay. So... I learned this, that I can actually sell stuff. Uh, that was what I learned there. So full disclosure, I do work with them on a regular basis. I know them. However, um, they make good games, undeniably. Um, and um, they don't make great game boxes, as Fireball Island demonstrated. But whatever. Uh, broken Token will fix that. A little bit of Broken Token box. Um, so, yeah, I, I think... It, I just mean, like, they have the advantage of... They can because of their business model, they can find games that were with like good bones. Mm -hmm. Um, they're like the chip and Joanna gains of board games. I love that so much. It works I love because that show so I, much. I know it, 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 um, 
I didn't know that you liked that, but it makes sense. Um, sure I do. But it also works just on nature. I mean, it works with their title, right? Their restoration games. They find games that have really good bones, and they're really good at finding that nugget of amazing and pulling it out, right? Like, the only reason Fireball Island was good back in the day was that that having that marble roll all over the place and the, and the, the chaos that it spread. So they just made an entire game around chaos. Um, and so this feels like what it was was a, a freaking epic combat game with a bunch of heroes. Because at the end of the day, that's what Star Wars is, really. Like, for better or for worse, Star Wars is a way to generate heroes and villains. Um, and they're epic ones at that. And so, and that's what Duels was. It just put those people and just smacked them together. Um, so, sure, sounds great. And um, I'm super interested to see what the Bigfoot deck looks like. Because I don't know what powers that guy would have. So um, that is unmatched. Um, I think it's also the the art that we have seen. Um, and there is some art that I have been privy to that I can't really talk about a lot. But man, yo. <laughs> this game is going to be that real. Game, huh? Yeah. You know what? They did a really good job of picking a um an, an art style that like really. It's kind of like Disney Infinity. You know how they took all those different art styles and kind of put them into the same bandwidth. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's very similar it to that. It was very successful. Yeah, in the art style. <laughs> um, well, okay. No, it actually was fairly successful in general. Disney just doesn't like making video games. I wrote a whole thing about it. Yeah. I mean, they also really, really liked making Hulk figurines, apparently. Um, I mean, who doesn't, really? I mean, yeah, but just... Yeah, I... Yeah, we could do... I mean, it's true. Who doesn't like Hulk figurines? Um, so, um, anyway. So, that's that's the first piece of news. The second one, this is a, a little bit more interesting, and we talked about this a little bit on a special edition of the uh, EFG Daily Commute. Um, but I wanted to run this by you. Do, have you ever played Magic? I can't remember if we've talked about this. I have. I am actually a Magic Tournament winner. I won my first Magic Tournament when I was 11. Okay. Then, so then you're familiar. Um, more than familiar. Um, so, wait, hold on. This is totally a non sequitur. Jenna, when did I start watching Buffy? What season was it? Was it like halfway through the show? It was in, hi, it was in um, 2000. That doesn't help. Well, you can Google. Yeah, all right. You can Google. Okay, Buffy. Well, your friend. So we're going to do it. We're going to pause this. Okay. This is great radio. Air date. Okay, so when did it start? started in 97. So I probably started like season three or season four, I guess. Somewhere in there. Um, but then I went back and watched all the earlier ones. Um, and then we watched it like nobody's business um, until the end. Um, just because that's what you did. Um, I mean, I think I missed some of it. I don't, yeah, I mean, I think I missed some of it because of video games, but what are you going to do? Um, the, anyway, all right, so Magic the Gathering. Are you familiar with Planeswalkers? Have you ever played while Planeswalkers were a thing? Yeah. Okay, good. So you're familiar with them. Okay, so, um, the current, and you probably saw some of this while you were visiting Hasbro at Toy Fair, so I don't know how much information they gave you. So, um... The current storyline, for those interested, um, and I'll make this interesting even for non-Magic players, Magic has a story now. This it's is like their really new thing. Good story. It's actually, uh, interestingly enough, War of the Spark, which is the next set, 
um, is actually going to have a book, a paper, like actual book that you can buy in stores for the first time in years. Um, and so they have a story. It is interesting. Um, I personally think even non-Magic players should check it out just because it's really interesting, like weird fantasy stuff. Um, and it is culminating, this story that's been going on for, I think, three or four years at this point, is culminating in War of the Spark, which comes out in April. War, uh, War of the Spark is more or less Magic the Gathering Infinity War. Um, there have been 36 Planeswalkers introduced in Magic the Gathering so far. Have there really been that many? Oh yo, there's a, yo, there's a lot. Um, there's a lot, man. There's a lot. Um, I'm I'm trying to convince uh, the Geek Embassy, which is another site that I work with, to uh, co-run a 36-team bracket with audience voting to decide who is the greatest Planeswalker of all time. Um, I would participate in this bracket. Okay, well, okay, well good. We gotta find. I mean, we need prizes too, but I'm sure Hasbro would would help if I if I told them. Um, they probably would. So. There, yes, there have been 36 Planeswalkers. Um, and so we have news that not only will all 36 of those Planeswalkers appear as new cards in the War of the Spark set, which is unprecedented, because normally Planeswalkers take up a Mythic slot. There's usually only 18 Mythic slots in a set, and usually they only... This is it was super inside baseball, but usually there's like three, maybe four Planeswalkers... Uh, there was one set where there was five, and the world exploded. They're like, whoa, check out the Gatewatch, which is the Magic the Gathering's version of the Avengers. And there were five of them, and it was insane. Um, and Magic the Gathering players remember when there were five Planeswalkers, and there were a ton in Standard, and there was a deck called Super Friends that you could play, which was just a bunch of Planeswalkers. Um, so Magic the Gathering... Apparently that didn't bother Wizards uh, because in War of the Spark, not only are all 36 of those cards going to be printed in the same set, every pack is going to have a Planeswalker in it. Every pack is going to have a Planeswalker in it. Oh, um, my goodness. So um, for those folks that don't play Magic, um, everybody who's listened to this has had their kid come home with a random pack of Pokemon cards. So, well, we'll use this as an illustration. When you open up that pack of Pokemon cards, in that pack, there is always a rare card. There are some uncommon cards. They call them different things, but there's, like, one card that is the most rare. Then there are some uncommons, and then there's stuff that is basically, you know, just chaff. It's common stuff, right? And that's how, that's how trading cards work, right? You buy a pack. It's random. Some of the cards are more valuable than others by nature of the fact that they are rarer. Um, every card, every game does it a little bit differently. I met with the Yu-Gi-Oh! people at New York Toy Fair and tried to convince them to explain it to me and my head melted um, because they have ultra rares and they have certain... It's just, it's crazy. Um, it, magic, traditionally, there is one rare, three uncommons, and then the rest are, are commons. That's how they do it. Um, one of those common slots... It appears, because they've done this before with double-sided cards, um, and they did it this set. Have you heard the double-sided cards? No, that's brand new to me. Okay, so they did this thing with the double-sided cards, which are cards that can transform. Um, in the horror set, I'm going to have, when I come to your house, I'll bring a bunch of them to you. So in the right. horror set, which is set in the world of Innistrad, which is gothic horror, um, they have yeah. werewolves. 
And so on one side is a human, and on the other side is a werewolf. Um, and they're, they have printed double-sided cards. It's a mechanic. Once they figured out how to do it, and once they were willing to break that fundamental rule that the back of every card has to be the same, yeah. um, and they figured it out for competitive play and everything. Everybody plays with sleeves anyway. Um, yeah. But you have, they have ways to do it. They actually make like checklist cards that you can use to be like in the deck as your card. Like you can check it off. Like they, they, they figured it out to deal with the Got logistics. It. But they're double-faced cards. They have some now in a set where there's an enchantment on one side and on the other side is a land. Because the enchantment helps you discover the land. That's how they, that's the flavor of it. So, like, you know, they have that kind of stuff. It's very different meta than what I'm used to, obviously. Yo, it's very different. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's very different. Um, but, different. But probably not. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, like, fishes are fishes, you know? Like, it depends on when you played. But, um, but it still plays like magic. Um, mm -hmm. So, um, but what they do when they have these weird cards, like double-sided cards, is they put one of those in every card and it takes a common slot. Um, so what they're probably going to do is take up one of the common slots and then there's just going to be a Planeswalker in every pack. And it's really interesting um, because I have no idea what that's going to do. I mean, it's going to obviously make drafting that game very different um, because obviously <laughs> everyone has... I mean, there's going to be tons of Planeswalkers all over the place. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. We've never seen anything like it. Um, and I'm just, what I'm really interested to see is, you know, how they do all those cards um, and how they make them different from each other. I mean, the good news is all 36 Planeswalkers thematically are very different. Um, they've done a very good job about that. Um because they're all different color combinations. Many of them are multicolored. Um, they all have vastly different mana costs. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see what they different do. Different synergy no matter what. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the ones that are, even the ones that are like the same color, um, do they're, different they're things. Different. They do yeah. different things. And so um, it'll be very interesting to see how they do it. And, and I'm really interested um Really, the way that we were shown all these things um, is through this amazing stained glass art that showed us what they all look like. And anyone who appreciates good fantasy art needs to go look up War of the Spark stained glass planeswalkers. And just, if you don't know how to spell planeswalker, just try. I, I may or may not be doing this. Yeah. Right this second. Just 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 type it into Google. Google knows what you're saying, even if you spell it wrong. Um, but I, I do think we are going to try uh, through the month of, um, you know, th the end of March um, to do a, um, <coughs> excuse me, to do a, like, 36-team Planeswalker tournament. That's um, awesome. Yeah, the, the War of the Stars stained glass, if you just do that under an image search, it it'll... beautiful. Yeah, they're amazing. Now, this is not going to be the card art. But they're gorgeous. Yeah, I, I don't know why these aren't I would have these, these on my art. wall. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, fun fact. Um, they are all the appropriate size for a phone background. Um, the see only... get there. Yeah, the only thing you see what I did there. The only thing that's really holding me back from having it all done now is that there are two of them that apparently uh, people don't know who they are yet. 
Like they don't, they're they're unclear if that's who they are, um, but they're guessing just based on clues. I'm sure Reddit has figured it out because nerds. Um, <laughs> Bunch of nerds. I'm not. Them. I'm not wrong. No, you're not. Because um, I'm sure they. Sometimes the best, the best leads on news. So. Oh, hold 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 on just a moment. Yes. Can you make your phone background Jace? Want me to make it what? Um, your phone background is Jace from Magic. Yeah, I could. Can you please? Oh, you want me to do it now? Yeah. I can't do it now. I'm working. I know, but like after. This. After this, yeah, I'll do it. Bye. Um. Apparently, he wants Jace. I, that's weird. That's fair. Um, Mike I mean, loves Jace as well. Yeah. Yeah, he just threw up the horns because he's yeah. playing the division right now. Yeah, uh, that's uh, has has is he familiar with the phrase "that's on brand"? Um, of course, he's very familiar with the phrase "that's on brand." Of course, Mike Futter likes Jace Bellerin. Um, of course he does. Um, anyway, so yeah, of course he does. So anyway, for those listening, if you don't like magic, sorry for the last five minutes or so. Um, but I do think everybody should go look at this art. The art is worth the price yeah, of admission. Um, we will, you know, we are, and the reason we're talking about it, we are spinning up collectible card games as coverage on the site. So we'll be talking about Magic, uh, the Transformers card game, which I just got my box in the mail the other day. Um, and Good stuff. Yeah, it's really cool. We're going to be uh, unboxing it on Saturday. Uh, me and the whole family uh, unboxing it on Facebook Live on Saturday morning. Um, and. Awesome. And we'll also be talking about Pokemon, and you know we'll be talking about how to play the games, how to get the cards, what to do with them. We're going to be teaching those that don't know how to know. Um, so just a little bit of a preview. Um, if you have questions about collectible card games, magic, etc., please send them over to us. We will make sure to have those questions answered. But man, I got to find the stained glass, Jace, so I can put that on my phone. Anyway. Um, so that's, for the most part, that's the news. There was some deep cut stuff, Asmodee working with Cool Mini or not. That's a little deep for us, although that's going to have some significant implications for people who own game stores. But it doesn't really impact us um, so much. So, um, so we are not going into the business of it because yeah. I've been thinking a lot about it all day, but no. Yeah, let's take a break, and then, and then we'll come back. And um, you know we'll uh, we're we're gonna talk about competitive play. Yeah, we are. We'll be back in a minute, folks. So uh, I am here at the Vermont State Magic the Gathering tournament hosted by Quarterstaff Games, and I'm actually here with Ben, who is the man, one of the managers for Quarterstaff. You're also a judge, yes. Um, and you were essentially the running the the show here today at the tournament. Uh, six rounds of Swiss, which is the biggest tournament I've finished. Because um, you know, well, you don't know, but I'm terrible at Magic the Gathering. <laughs> but this is the most wins I've ever had. 
Awesome. I think well, congrats. In, in total, I think, and I finished two and three and one. So, man, listen, I'm starting. I'm right just, on. My, my rise to the Pro Tour, That's, it begins it be- today. It begins today. I like it. So um, one of the reasons I wanted to come here, number one, because I wanted to come with the Infinite co-host, my brother, but the other piece was I knew this was going to be a great place to go and bring Evan and have him kind of move into, like, quote-unquote, serious magic tournaments. Because as a judge, you know, there's different competitive levels. Friday Night Magic is a little bit different than this. So, like, what are some of the big differences that people have to be ready for? Yeah, so most of your store events are going to be run at what they call a regular rules enforcement level, where the event today we decided to run at a competitive rules enforcement level, or REL. And basically what that just means is your your actions and stuff have uh, a little bit more weight to them. Uh, there's not the kind of sense that, well, I kind of messed up, mind if I take this back? You're kind of held to your decisions within the game. Uh, not to say that opponents are never, won't let you take something back or whatever. Uh, competitive, uh, friendly competition is still very much alive at this level of Magic event. But you really need to think and plan your plays and, and your deck strategies just a, just a little more. Yeah, I mean, it also, by nature of the fact, it's a little bit more expensive, a little bit, you know, bigger event. You're going to expect, number one, more competition. Sure. Um, I mean, some of the people sitting, we're, we're, while we're doing this, the top eight is happening. Yes. Um, and the fact that there is a top eight, you know, a yeah. lot of smaller events, you just play and you play a certain number of rounds. Play four and, rounds and you're done. And yeah. then you're finished. Here, we played six rounds and there's a bunch of people that got to play two or three more yeah. um, if they're so lucky. Um, so I, one of the big differences that I noticed, and I, admittedly, I knew about it and I forgot to tell Evan about it was um, that you have to register your decks at these tournaments. So what's that process like? So at at most events, you're just going to show up and play what you brought. And, you know, maybe you can change it in between rounds. Here you are locked in to what you brought. And the way to enforce that, to to make that fair for everyone, is we require these deck lists. So Mm -hmm. at the beginning of each event, you're going to take a sheet of paper. It's essentially like a little form. Mm -hmm. You'll fill out all the cards that you're playing, the number of those cards that you're playing, and that's what you're locked into. And we do counts at the beginning of the day to make sure you have the proper number of cards. Yeah. And then we do random spot deck checks throughout the different rounds as well. We'll pick a table, we'll grab their decks, we'll just compare it against the sheets, make sure everyone's playing what they say they're playing. And that's uh, just a way to ensure fair and tight competition uh, between all the players. Because the last thing we want is for me to kind of play this, and I was playing a mono blue tempo deck. The last thing we want is for me to just start using force of will. Right. That would that would change the game. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it would have gotten some interesting looks. It might have been worth getting a game loss just to do it. <laughs> At this point, yeah, we might have to remove you from the event. Yeah, and I it, mean, it might be worth it. You know, but it might be worth it for hilarious sake, for hilarity's sake. <laughs> but yeah, you definitely get booted. Yes. Um, the, uh, but the look on my opponent's face might have been worth it. It, it could might be. have been worth and it. And that's something you'd have to weigh and decide if that's weigh. for you. Yeah, do you really want to ruin the... <laughs> Steve, do you want to ruin the four-hour drive and the $30 entry fee for that joke? And sometimes the joke is worth it. Sometimes you know? the joke is worth it. Um, so um, some other, what are some other kind of challenges that you that you think people might have kind of adapting from like a, like a pre-release sure. for Night Magic to like a real competitive event like this? Magic is a... Super complex game when you get to the nitty-gritty of of the rules interactions. Mm -hmm. The basic mechanics that a lot of people are probably familiar with feel very second nature. But when you start peeling back all these different levels of rules, things can get very ticky-tack. And just being familiar with how your cards 
interact is the first big step you want to do. Know, know the cards you're going to play, know the deck you're going to play, mm -hmm. and that, that will alleviate 90% of the issues uh, you'd have making that hurdle from a standard store event to a more competitive Magic. Uh, just being familiar with, with what you have and, and the tools you brought to the tournament. Absolutely. I, and I agree with you. I mean, at the end of the day, you got to know and read your own stuff. Right. Um, but then th that next level is you just have to be prepared for the fact that the person sitting across that table is more likely to know exactly what you're trying to do. Yeah. Um, especially if you're using a quote-unquote like top-tier strategy. For sure. If you found something on, online, if you're looking at Star mm -hmm. City Games and finding those deck lists, they know what's in there. Yeah. You know, I was playing a mono blue aggro deck. Everyone knew exactly knew what I was what doing. Was. Before yeah. I did it, I played a single island and one card and they knew exactly what I was doing. <laughs> um, and But you have to be ready for that. Yeah. You just have to know that they know what you're doing. Yeah, with the with the internet and all the, all the coverage that's out there uh, mm -hmm. with Magic right now, it's super Super easy to kind of know what you're going to face coming into these things, and if you do a little bit of research, it can prepare you a lot too. Uh, back when I first started playing Magic, you know, 23 years ago, mm -hmm. the internet wasn't a thing yet, so I showed up to my first, you know, competitive event 23 years ago, had no idea what was going on, and promptly, you know, got beat by decks I had didn't even know existed. And in this day and age, that's that surprise value is much less likely. So yeah, I didn't expect. I mean, you don't, you probably don't expect somebody to come to a tournament like this and like break. The meta with like sure. some kind of, and by meta I mean like the meta game, like the, the interaction between all the different decks. You don't really expect somebody to come here and like just sweep it away with something that no one's ever heard of. I mean, it's not impossible. It's definitely not but possible. It's not as common. For sure. Yeah. And just the the higher competitive mentality, uh, you people do kind of get. I hate to use the word rut, but they definitely follow what the the pro tour, the mythic championships, the all the high level celebrity streamers put out there and those are what you're going to face so you can kind of see what's coming in and if you're willing to bring in that rogue deck and really know how it beats what other people are going to play you could have a really good day but you got to know you're going to see all these same high level decks you got to be ready for it absolutely um, absolutely so it was a pleasure chatting with you absolutely um and you know i'm sure we'll have more of these chats as you guys have more of these tournaments yeah. we're going to be trying to come up more um so yeah thank you very much absolutely thank you and, for coming uh, and uh, yeah. thanks for uh, having me on absolutely well, you have a good one buddy you too all right everybody welcome back to engage a family gaming podcast i'm still steven i'm still uh, lucky to be here with amanda and uh we're talking about board games um we just went over some news we talked about some magic the gathering now i think that's a nice segue into talking about competitive play um, both, both you and I have played competitively in various games throughout our gaming career. Yeah. Right. So you used to Table you told me, advantage. yeah. So you you told me that you played some Warhammer, and you did some of that competitively. Um, and you meant and you did before the break. You said that you uh, won your first Magic tournament. And how old were you when you did that? I was eleven. That's impressive. That's impressive. Yeah. Um, you're a, a you're a you're a prodigy. Um, I don't win yeah, magic I tournaments. I stopped playing sometime after that, so I mean, I'm not certainly not a prodigy anymore. I mean, you could be a prodigy and then quit. I mean, it's fine. Magic is yeah, a hard game I, to I keep quit. up with. It's so it's so hard. It's hard to keep up with. Um, so and so I 
Um, the only game that I've really like really played really competitively is Magic. Um, but I dreamed when I was younger of playing Street Fighter Four. That's what I wanted to do. But I mean. but the problem is I'm like really bad. So um, hence the hence the hashtag Steve is bad at games. Um, that's like literally <laughs> a thing. We're gonna sell T-shirts. I'll send you one when we I'll have the batch it. made. Um, so the all right. So I want to tell a story about taking Evan to his first competitive Magic tournament. Amanda, why I tell the story? I'm listen. I, okay. I wish I had cookies. Okay. And then, um, and then what we're gonna do is we're actually gonna take a we're gonna I'm gonna splice in. Um, cause I actually interviewed the tournament organizer from Quarterstaff that, um, <laughs> that ran the tournament that Evan and I went to and talked to him about some of the stuff that parents should be aware of while they're preparing their kid to go to some of these tournaments. Cause this is not something you can just drop a kid off and, and just leave without getting them ready. Um, because you know, their competitive magic tournaments are a little bit different. Um, so over the weekend, we went to the Vermont State Magic the Gathering Championships, um, which are different than states, quote-unquote, which used to be run by Star City Games. Um, Star City Games doesn't do that anymore in favor of just running more of their opens. Um, and so Quarterstaff realized that there was no state Vermont State Championship, so they just decided to run it. <laughs> um, Vermont's small enough they could do that. And so... Um, the uh, so we we went up there because my brother the infinite co-host um was up there and uh, so we visited him we went to the tournament we spent a whole bunch of time like putting together cards building decks um and talking about how to play and what to do um and so we went and it was six rounds which was exhausting for evan uh, it was, i mean a round is about an hour or so uh, so it was like six hours, six and a half hours um, of Magic the Gathering, which everybody's like, oh man, boo-hoo to you guys. You had six and a half hours of playing Magic. And my response to that is, no, but really, guys, it was six and a half hours of Magic the Gathering. Um, and so uh, at the end of the day, um, of the four of us from Team EFG that went up there, uh, Evan was third amongst the three of us. Um he had some rough games, um, but he he learned a lot of really awesome lessons. Um, the first one is the fr exactly the first one is um, don't let your uncle and dad do your deck registration at the beginning of the tournament <laughs> because they will undoubtedly screw it up and earn you a game loss in round two. Um, which is that was his lesson. <laughs> um, so one of the things that, and this happens at Magic, and I, you can talk about it, you know, at Warhammer, and I'm sure we can extrapolate it out to other games too, but um, <coughs> at a competitive Magic the Gathering tournament, not like a Friday Night Magic or a pre-release, but like at a, at a competitive level tournament, um, you are, um, you have to register your deck before the, before the event starts. Like you fill out your paperwork, you say what cards you have, how many you have, um, and if you screw that up, there are penalties. Um, so that was a, that was a lesson because I forgot to tell him about that until we got there. That was on me. I just took it for granted that someone had mentioned to him that we had to do paperwork. Um, and his uncle and I were like, "No, it's fine, dude. 
It's cool. Just just set out your cards in groups of four, and we'll we'll write it all down for you. And man, did we screw it up. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, what are you gonna do? He learned a very valuable lesson. Don't trust dad because dad is bad at logistics. Um, at least I didn't screw up my own deck list. I don't think they didn't check me because it's a random spot checks. So. Um, so for all I know, I, I bombed it super hard. Um, but so he learned that. Um, and I think being, I think a, a good lesson to take from that is, and I, I want to, I'll, I'll look to hear about, you know, Warhammer or some of your other experiences, but like, just pay attention to the logistics, um, you know, of the tournament. Like not everything is just casual. Um, I think a lot of parents assume, you know, Maybe gamer parents or games adjacent parents, like that might be listening to the show, might as might not necessarily assume. Oh, it's just a game; it's fine. Just go. And yeah, like we know, like all right, we got to prepare or plan. Um, but I think that's an important thing: is learn the logistics and you know talk to and, and communicate because we could have gotten our questions answered had we not been overconfident. What's it sure. like at a Warhammer sh- at, at a Warhammer tournament? The Warhammer tournaments are, uh, they're a lot of the same, where you have to, in your registration package, have your army laid out, and you have to have all of your minis accounted for in squads, and you have to be at a certain um, point count. So depending on the tournament that you're participating in, like Astronomicon in Vancouver was, I think it was 2,500 point armies. Yeah. And there are a bunch of other tournaments that it can go all the way up to 5,000, and it it gets pretty gnarly. Or it did back when I used to play. And that was a number of years ago. It's been a good 15 years since I've done a Warhammer tournament. So, um, so yeah, you have to register your army. You can't screw that up. You have to have a fully painted army, which means that it has to be three colors on each, like three unique colors on each um, model that you're putting on the table model has to accurately represent what it is that's on your your army list so if you have a model on the table that has a heavy flamer as its gun and you in fact are saying it's a heavy bolter like that's that's a point against i don't even remember what the composition of that would look like i think it's army composition um because you're judged on a number of different things so that you know at the grand tournament you could win you could win win the grand tournament as best general and that's if, you know, you are the best general and you don't get any, like, significant demerits throughout. Mm-hmm. So my dad is a huge Warhammer fan. And he's, you know, he got me and my brother into it when we were really young. And he used to go to grand tournaments all the time. And he would come back with, um, like, he'd get close to best general. I think he walked away with best general once when he went to Winnipeg. I'm so ferociously Canadian. <laughs> you definitely are. Um, you definitely are. Yeah. Very true. Let's just wait until the video um, game podcast when hot when NHL is coming out. Then then it's gonna be all. I'll just <laughs> yell about hockey. Yeah, we'll have a. I'm an we'll... old man when it comes to hockey. I just yell at the television a lot yeah. and I scream at my team because they're terrible. I love them anyway. So <laughs> yeah, that's what that's what that looks like. I mean, depending on the tournament that you're going to, you usually have a bunch of categories that you're judged on. So best painted, so best painted army, best general. Um, best sportsmanship. My little brother won best sportsmanship one year when we went to Astronomicon. Um, and there's a few other, few other things in there as well. 
Uh, the best sportsmanship one is the best one to win because it means that you were the best to play with and it means that even if you lost, you still ensured that the game was fun mm -hmm. instead of getting really upset. So those are, those are all interesting ways that competitive play comes to fruition with, uh, with Warhammer 40k specifically. I've never played in a Warhammer fantasy tournament before because I was always into 40k. Okay. So, so yeah, that's what look, that's what 40k looks like. That's the that's the tabletop stuff. And I remember having to register my deck um, in Magic way 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 back in the day, like 20 plus years ago. So. That, yeah. Uh, that has not changed. No. The cards have changed. Yeah, you know, we got some we got some double sided stuff. Some double-sided shenanigans. Um, it's fine. They transform. It's cool. It's fine. You know, Everything. the interesting thing about what old-school... Because I, I look back at what old-school PC tournaments would look like. Yeah. And, you know, there would there would be, like... I would go to a convention. My dad used to host... Like, he ran a big convention every year in my hometown. He was that guy. <laughs> um, so I would go play in the competitive Quake tournament... And it was all about, you know, some people brought their own computers, some people didn't, and they just hopped onto whatever it is that we rigged up. And they were good computers at the time. Yep. And back then, it was totally, it was weird because the hardware was a part of the package as much as the software and the player were. And these days, when you do competitive play, it's mostly about your account. Mm -hmm. And it has very little to do with, you know, like, do I have to haul my rig? Um, because yeah. more than more than likely, if you're on a professional esports team, that rig is already going to be there no matter what. Yeah. So, and I mean, Super League Gaming is doing a cool job with how they're helping kiddos to get into competitive gaming like that too. So. Yeah, I mean, there's like the, it's it's interesting watching the profiles for you know, yeah. some of like the esports teams um, and you know like the competitive. Um, you know, I forget the name of it, but there's one that, get, that gets together and does some of that, like, they rent out theaters and they play with kids. Uh, and they yeah. do it in the Boston area. Um, I think it's really, you know, the the advantages of competitive play for games, and you're just kind of, now that we've talked about some of the logistics and some of our personal stories, I, I, I think, um, <coughs> um, I think it's, a, it, the, the advantages are, cl are, are clear to us. Um, and I think they are, I think the biggest thing that I want to say is that I don't think that they are as dissimilar from the advantages of competitive play, like for a sport as, um, as a traditional sport, as some people might assume, um, you know, the, especially if you're playing a team-based game, um, but like, you know, it, it, the, you know, even the individual games, you know, like playing Magic. You know, that's a single. You're, you're one person, but you are. There's a lot to be learned from, um, you know, being in that kind of environment, and not just from learning from the game. And we can talk for hours about what you can learn from Magic or what you can learn from, you know, the, like a, a tabletop Warhammer, like a, a miniature a strategy game. Um, you know, we could talk for hours about that, but just the. Um, the different kind of learning that you get from, uh, you know, like just being in a competitive environment is something that it, it's hard to overstate. Um, so I think, you know, poise under pressure um, is something that a lot of people don't have. Um, and it's because, and I think it's because they didn't, they never played in a magic tournament and it shows. 
Um, so to uh, steal the Twitter meme, but like, you know, the idea of okay, I'm you know you're stressed out and you have to get from place to place really quick and sit down and set up and play, even though you're playing a game. In that moment, it doesn't matter. In that moment, everybody's following the same accepted rules of engagement. So there, it's work. You got to go. You have to follow the social contract, right? Like you got to get to where you're going, shake your hands with your opponent, um, and play. And the thing about a lot of uh, paper games, as opposed to digital games, right? Like if you and I are playing Street Fighter, it would be hilarious because we're both bad. But um, (laughs) (laughs) but the 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 computer does all the work, right? I pick Ryu, you pick whoever. We fight. When one of our life total goes to zero, they fall down, three rounds, like, you know what I mean? The game is done there. Like, Magic, if we're playing Paper Magic, um, which I say Paper Magic, that's relevant because there is MTG Arena, which we've talked about before, and that's a digital form of the same game. But if we're playing Paper Magic sitting at the table, and we just, like, put our decks in front of us, unless the two of us communicate clearly while we are playing, nothing happens. You know what I mean? Exactly. Um, and I yeah. think that there's re- that that's relevant too, is that it really does kind of force you to learn how to communicate clearly um, with other people. And to a degree, yeah, you have to learn how to communicate with people without like giving too much away, right? Um, but I think there's value in that too, being able to speak and just be clear while also being kind of guarded. I think there's value in that because there's plenty of situations where it's okay. Yeah. You know, you need a poker face. Um, you know, and I think some of those types of situations, uh, like in tournaments help. I mean, the thing that I talk to Evan about all the time is bro, you mumble, you know, like he mumbles, he'll just be, you know, he'll be just chatting. He'll be like, well, I do this thing and I got this. And I'm like, what, what did you do? Um, and now I, I can't get mad at anyone for saying I do the thing because I do that a lot, but, (laughs) but like in magic, if you say I'm gonna play this to do the thing, that is not okay. No, you have to say like, I what tap. Thing are you doing? Exactly, I have to tap these things to put this much mana into my pool, and then I will cast this, and then and wait to see if they have responses. And yeah, it's it's half like narrating your experience when you're sitting down and you're streaming a game. Yeah. But it's important because you you do have to have that back and forth with, with the other player. And it doesn't matter what kind of game that you're playing competitively, if it's a tabletop game. doesn't matter if it's a war game or if mm-hmm. it's a card game or, or whatever. You still need to communicate what it is that you're doing on your turn to a certain degree. Yeah. And also, and I think this is kind of a hidden thing. And it's just kind of like I'm letting my mind kind of wash over some of the thoughts. Like, um... You're going to play in tournaments with people that you really don't like, right? Um, yeah. And that you would normally just not speak to. And that's okay, right? Like, if you're, if you're not jiving with somebody, like, you're under, in general, under no obligation to speak to them. Um, but in a tournament, you gotta, which simulates another environment. Like, if you're working with somebody you don't really like, but you gotta work with them, you have to be able to communicate. And I think there is some, there is an advantage to kind of pushing against that discomfort, even if it doesn't necessarily provide like a skill um, that you can kind of match, like being able to say, okay, this is not someone that I particularly want to deal with, but I must because it's either this or I drop out. 
Um, and no, you don't want to drop for Same that. Same sort of thing in professional situations. Yep. I mean, that helps if you're if you're letting your kids play in in competitive tournaments. I mean, teaching them that they're always going to have to interact with folks that they mo they may not like or they may not even respect. Mm -hmm. You know, that speaks wonders to what they could potentially be dealing with in their careers. I mean, there are people that I don't like, that I don't particularly respect, that I have to work with on a regular basis. Not, you know, maybe not directly, maybe not um, every single day, but I still have to work with them and I still have to make peace with the fact that I have to work with them. And I can't just, like, get upset and opt out because that would mean that I was going to quit my job. Yeah, it'd be super weird because then I'd be on the podcast all by myself. I can't. I mean, so I'm glad that you no. push through that once a week. No, I would. Uh, no, I'd still be on the podcast. You can't hear yeah. me. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. That's it. Um, so uh, I'm just. You missed the. You missed the. Uh, did did the joke go over your head or did you just reject it because I was being self-deprecating again? Okay. Um, I rejected your joke. That was a counterspell targeted at my joke while it was on the stack. Yeah. Um, that was That's a magic joke. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So I, I think all those are, you know, really, I mean, I, I think these are just some of the, the, the benefits and advantages, um, benefits, advantages. That's the same word, basically. Um, I think the, the challenges to a lot of this is some of the, is competitive plays expensive. Um, you know, and that's just, it, is. it requires travel. Um, exactly. You know, um, the, you know, it, there's the travel, there is, you know, at least, the two games we talked about, Warhammer and Magic, neither of them are cheap to play competitively. Um, Although Warhammer is a lot less expensive than it used to be, thank goodness. Yeah, they were telling you stuff about that at, uh, at Toy Fair, right? I walked away because yeah. I had to go to another thing. Um, but I know they were talking to you about how they, they realized that not only did they realize that they were pricing themselves out, but also, you know, plastic is cheaper than metal. Duh. Yeah, I, yeah. The the big problem is that they were marketing to a very different audience. Well, they're marketing to a very different audience than what they were before. Like before, they were marketing to like um, collectors and yeah. folks that had been playing, you know, different kinds of war games already, and they were used to a very specific kind of model, and they just didn't really adapt because the executive team wasn't interested in adapting. They just wanted to do things the exact same way, and then they ended up losing market share to um you know the other tabletop war games that are out there and there are a lot more these days there weren't back in mm -hmm. you know 1994 so so yeah they had to they had to adapt and let me tell you plastic is a lot cheaper especially with 3d printed 3 3d printing these days yeah mass printing yeah, magic is it's interesting um so it's interesting we talk about the cost because magic. So, I we just got done making decks for me and for Evan and even one for Jake. And what's really interesting about magic is that I can't. I'll never say that it's like a budget friendly game necessarily. Competitive magic, but but what magic? What Wizards has tried to do because they recognize the cost issue. What they have tried to do, um, and it's with varied level of success, is as they put out sets of cards, they try to have at least a couple of viable archetypes exist with cards in like common and uncommon rarities that mm -hmm. you know you don't necessarily need, you know, 
35 Mythic Rarity cards that are all, you know, 10 bucks a piece. Um, those, those exist just because there's nothing to really do, right? Like, <coughs> you pi make a pile of the best cards in the format, and, and they're going to win. Um, but literally, I played, a, I played a deck that was full of commons, and I did I did fairly really? well for myself. Yeah, no, the, the magic, magic. Oh, yeah, it's oh, it it is interesting in that you can, if you make some of the right decisions, um, you know, pilot. They, they do try and make at least a couple of decks function. Um, and right it, right now, there are a couple of decks that are mostly relatively inexpensive cards. Like, I think my deck was put together entirely start to finish for, I think, $30. Maybe a little bit more. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, That's not bad. It's not. But then I sat across the table in round one against the guy who the first card he played was worth more than my deck combined. So, like, magic is weird. Um, you know, so... It's the same sort of thing with Hearthstone, too. Like, collectible card games are weird like that. It depends on how much money you're willing to sink in yep. to get the best cards. Correct. Um, so, I mean, that is the downside to competitive play, is that in order to be truly competitive, um, you know, if you really want to be at that top table, it is expensive. Um, and there's money. really not much to wait to There's really not much to push away from that. The good news is a lot of friendly local game stores have tournament settings with different rule sets um and you know for example draft you know Drafting. you can go you yeah, can go to a draft a great way yeah um a lot of friendly local game stores know for a fact that magic and warhammer are expensive so they will do events where maybe they maybe they have loner armies that you can use or um you know or they will do a draft or they will have a tournament where you can't play with certain cards. Um, or they'll play Commander, which is a fully casual format. Um, <coughs> and lots of other you know, little things like that. Um, the best thing is if your kids are interested in playing competitive games like Warhammer and you know, Magic the Gathering, etc., Pokemon, um, find your local game store and talk to them about it. Yeah. They'll tell you. Uh, man, yeah. the, the competitive Pokemon scene is insane. Um, oh, yeah. So I think... Um, the next time you are, the next time we have a free video game week, I think we should probably uh, talk about esports. Maybe we can get a guest and talk about some esports. Yes. Oh my goodness! I um, have so many people that play esports. Yeah, so let's do that. Um, so I think that has been episode one hundred and sixty-eight, folks. Amanda and I, you know, we rapped about it a little bit, um, but I'm sure we didn't think of everything. Um, so I love it. Um, you know, we'll certainly do a follow-up episode if you like. So. Um, send us your thoughts or share them in the Engage Family Gaming community. You can get there by going to engagefamilygaming.com slash community um, and share, share with us your thoughts on competitive play. Um, you know, again, this was us just kind of spinning a yarn, talking about it. Um, but I'd love to hear what you have to say or maybe what some of your experiences are. Um, you know, we know, I know a lot of folks that have played various games competitively at various levels. Uh, so I'd love to hear what they have to say. Um, so... Until next time, Amanda and I, uh, we do appreciate you listening. We hope you had as much fun as we had recording it. Um, but I, I do have two favors I'd like to ask. One, 
everyone listening to the show knows someone who needs to hear it. Um, so I don't, I'm not super concerned with how you do it as long as it is legal, but please get the podcast in front of as many people as possible. A bigger audience means more opportunities for Amanda and I to do cool stuff. Um, and if you can't find anyone to have listened to the podcast, share it out on your wall. You never know who might be interested in it. Um, you know, tweet it out, do whatever you got to do. Um, but if you can't do those things, a review would be amazing. A review on, uh, you know, your podcast service of choice gives us the, um, you know, gives us more exposure, um, which gives a bigger audience, which then in turn lets us do more cool stuff. So, um, I will be back next week for video games with a different co-host, Amanda is going to try and help me find a, a, a co-host for next week um, while she is I off doing that. doing her real work. Um, Being very stressed <coughs> out at, at GDC. And you made an announcement this afternoon or this I evening. Did. Would you care to make that announcement? Can you I talk did. about it now? Can we do that? Can yeah. we do this thing? We can do, we can do the thing. Yeah, so I, I'm going to be on um, I'm going to be on Kind of Funny. Uh, while I'm in San Francisco. So I'm going to be hanging out with Greg Miller and we're going to do kind of funny games daily together, which is kind of serendipitous because I work for game daily biz. So are you guys going to, you're going to make that. You guys, yeah, you're definitely going to make that joke. We're going to 100% make that joke. You're going to make that joke. He's probably going to yell that joke. He's definitely going to yell a lot. He yells a lot, but it's a very endearing yell. It's not like a scary yell, yeah. so I'm okay with it. It's just a very like it's a it's a Greg yell. That's so, all I know how so to our describe fa- it as. So our fans um, are definitely going to want to take a look, um, and at the very least, download the podcast. It's kind of funny games daily next Friday. I will be watching it live because I wouldn't miss that for the world. And we might be doing, and we may keep your eyes on our Twitter feed and all that. We may be doing something to celebrate because it's not very often that someone who is one of my best friends in the whole wide world gets to go on the biggest podcast in the world. So like I have to, I might want to celebrate. So we might, we might throw, (laughs) we might throw a party. Um, so I love parties. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll be having the party at home while you're working. So, but we'll, we'll include you. Yeah, we'll take pictures. Um, So, folks, hope you have a great week. We will talk to you next time. But until then, don't forget to get your family game on. We'll see you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to Engage, a family gaming podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week.